Mindfulness Mode, Episode 17. Suddenly, waves of pain would hit me, and I didn't feel it as intensely. I felt myself observing it as though it were outside of me. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host, Bruce Langford. Today I'm talking with Brian R. King, a licensed clinical social worker who is also a coach. Last time I talked with a kick-butt sales and body language coach named Andrea Sullinger. Both of these experts use mindfulness every day in their lives. If you know a social worker or a coach, give them a heads up about Mindfulness Mode Podcast. Oh, and check out my Twitter feed. My Twitter handle is at Bruce Langford. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me how you heard about Mindfulness Mode. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally thrilled to have Brian King on the line today. Hey, Brian, are you in Mindfulness Mode? You know it. Awesome. Brian King is a resilience coach who has a fascinating story which reveals why his coaching is so effective. He's a 26-year cancer survivor. He's a father of three boys, and he teaches parents with special needs children how to cope and connect. In fact, Brian's own boys have Asperger's, which is a form of autism. Brian is a podcaster, host of The Heart of the Matter, a show focused on helping entrepreneurs become more resilient and better leaders. Mindfulness has been a big part of Brian's life for over 20 years. So Brian, Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Can you just tell us more details about what you're working on right now? Absolutely. One thing I wanted to qualify by that wonderful introduction you just gave me is I just celebrated my 27th year cancer-free. Wow. Amazing. So that's, that's fun. Yeah. Uh, in general, my life has been complicated by a lot of medical issues. I had undiagnosed ADHD and dyslexia my entire school career. I didn't learn about these challenges until maybe five, six years ago. And within the past year and a half, I was diagnosed with a connective tissue disorder called Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. It causes daily pain and muscle fatigue. I often have to use a wheelchair when I leave the house. I have to use a cane in the house because my joints are very unstable as a result of my degenerating connective tissue, especially my ligaments and my joints. Jeez. Professionally speaking, I got my master's degree in social work. Mm-hmm. I began my career in hospice, you know, working with the terminally ill clients and their families, helping prepare them for that transition, mm-hmm. and providing grief support for the families. And it was when my oldest son, who is now going to be 18 in a few months, Mm. when he was in first grade, he began having panic attacks, meltdowns, demonstrating extremely controlling behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, Long story short, he was consequently diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Mm -hmm. And he went into crisis and the school would do virtually nothing for him. So I had to become an overnight expert. And the more I researched it, the more I realized that there were some real glaring similarities between my boy and I. Ah. And I was able to really get a good sense of what it felt like 
what my own experience was and use my verbal abilities to articulate that. So I began going to parents' groups to try and get some ideas on what resources were out there, what knowledge I was missing. And as it turns out, I became the resource because I was able to explain to them what their kids were thinking, why their kids were doing certain things. And once the group found out I was a social worker, they essentially demanded that I hang up my shingle and start seeing their kids. So I gave that some serious thought and decided to take a chance, got some very inexpensive office space, and the word got out very quickly. He said, hey, here's this guy who's just like our kids, and uh, he's a social worker, and he can help with your kids. And within four months working part-time, I had replaced my daytime income. Interesting. And I was working 15-hour days, which I don't recommend. No. So... And that was probably close to 10 years ago, and I haven't looked back since. Wow, you've really been helping a lot of people, Brian. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's interesting how it started out with, all I wanted to do was make my life better for, for my son. Hmm. you know. And, and now his brothers, who have the same challenges. Funny how and, things and, work and, out. And, yeah, and helping my boys, it turned out there were a lot of people just like us who were able to benefit from what it is I was learning. And so I decided to pay it forward. You're still doing that. And so over 20 years ago, you started practicing mindfulness. And I'm so interested in how mindfulness plays a role in your fascinating life. Because of, you know, the the ADHD, Mm -hmm. there are real issues with my focus with not only the external noise, which is you know the shiny objects, the squirrels, all the different things around me, there's also the internal noise. There's restlessness. There's the internal critic. There are bouts of depression and anxiety. And I really needed to find a way to temper that because, and I'm sure you know this from not only your own work, but maybe even your own experience, is when you grab a hold of any one of those urges, it can take you on a ride that it's hard to get back from. It sure can. It sure can. So when was the first time you started using mindfulness and discovered that could help you? It was when I was going through chemotherapy when I was 18. I was really at a loss to find any meaning in what was happening to me. It was really a horrendous time in my life. Uh, my, my friends turned their backs on me mostly because they said they either didn't know about it or they didn't know how to handle it. Mm-hmm. So I had to figure out how was I going to make my way through this terror and fury and, and depression and everything. So on my better days, I was able to walk the few blocks from my house to the local library. I began looking through the philosophy section and self-help, personal development, and I came across two specific books. One was the Tao Te Ching, and the other was the Heart Sutra. And the Heart Sutra is one of the books uh, based on the Buddha's teachings. And there was a lot of talk about letting go of things instead of trying to hang on to them. Mm Mm-hmm being in the moment, that the nature of things was to pass through. And that was like a lightning bolt to my brain because so much of what I was going through was trying to hang on to the things I lost 
you know, my friends, my hair, my health, certainty about the future. And this was the first time I'd read any kind of thinking that said, no, things leaving is the nature of things. It's not a bad thing. It simply is. And then it started talking about meditation and being present. And the word mindfulness came up. I remember also getting Full Catastrophe Living by John Kabat-Zinn. Oh, yes. One of the pioneers of mindfulness in America. Absolutely. And there were so many tools in there, very simple about just observing your breath, just feeling it come in and go out. And there was one day I was in the hospital in excruciating pain from one of my treatments. My whole body hurt so bad I couldn't stand to have the weight of a sheet on my body. And these waves of pain kept hitting me. And I remembered what I had read saying, okay, it said just watch your breath. Don't cling to the sensations. So I tried it. I felt myself getting calmer, more relaxed, paying more attention to my breath and less to my pain. And then suddenly waves of pain would hit me and I didn't feel it as intensely. I felt myself observing it as though it were outside of me, like my relationship to the pain changed entirely. I was now an observer of it. So I could watch the wave come in and then watch it subside and not feel like I had to say, ooh, that hurt, man, that sucked. Man, I wish this wasn't happening. The conversation just kind of died down as I was watching my breath. And that was such a, per, a very powerful experience of mindfulness that I was hooked. That is fascinating. And that's why they use mindfulness practice in hospitals to deal with pain today. And you've just, yep. you've just explained it right there. It is incredibly powerful. And it's incredible that the general public doesn't know about it. Well, and what I have found, the general public tends to be too impatient. You know, because the people I often bring it up to say, oh, I don't have time for that. I can't sit that long. You know, I've got to update my Facebook status. You know, I've got right. to check the, the stock market. I've got to check the scores right. on the, the Cubs. And they always find these reasons to remain frantic. Right. And that's an illusion. That's not reality. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, absolutely. Right. The fact that somehow they decided that these things are critical to be in their attention. And they don't take the time to sit back and ask themselves, how is my life improving by paying attention to these things? What kind of results is it giving me? It's distracting me a lot from the things that bother me so I don't have to think about them. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest payoff. Right. But in terms of helping them find that equilibrium, that sense of serenity that they so often think they want and often get by escaping alcohol, going to see a movie, doing something again that either numbs their senses or keeps their mind distracted in a way where they don't have to think about work, but at the same time, they're not calm. They're just distracted. So I really wish for humanity that more of them take the time to really get to know what it feels like to just be still. Right, and that's my goal with my podcast, to get the word out there to everyone where here are these people, these extremely 
awesome people, and yet we're all ordinary people who are using mindfulness to help us. Help us. So you can too. And you've described how mindfulness can really help with pain, but did you find it helped with your focus? Did you find it helped with concentration? Did it give you a sense of calm? Can you talk about those things? Oh, absolutely. My mind goes in 2,000 different directions all day long. Mm-hmm. Now, I used medication to manage my ADHD for a while until I had uh, an unfortunate reaction that landed me in the ER because I have high blood pressure as a result of my Ehlers-Danlos, which I now know to be the cause of my high blood pressure. Uh-huh. And the stimulant med made my blood pressure spike so high that I became delirious and unintelligible. My wife had to call 911 and they gave me nitro in the back of the ambulance and kept me overnight at the hospital. So I just swore off meds that day. So I've used other medications, mostly caffeine. But again, with the blood pressure, that's a problem. So I had to find something else. What the mindfulness does, and I, and I can't emphasize the power of this enough, by minding your breath, it helps you get out of your head and into your body. And when you have a racing mind like ADHD, that's where all the noise is. It's in your head. So one of the best ways to calm your head down is to get out of it. So when you breathe into your abdomen, the mind just naturally settles down because you're not chasing that bundle of butterflies anymore. Then once it slows down, then you can bring your awareness back up into your mind and start looking at the things that are in there and deciding which one you want to pay attention to and act on. Well, you're a great communicator. I really like the way you're describing how mindfulness works for you. How does mindfulness work with you in your personal life? I know you have the three boys and you have a wife. How do you use mindfulness there? Just about everybody in my house, including our five little yappy dogs, have some issues with anxiety. And there tends to be times when they begin reacting to one another. You know, how anxious people, just like with anger, can escalate one another. Mm -hmm. So when I see that happening, I realize that I must not join them. I need to stay calm. So I will just, again, watch my breath, take a deep breath, draw my awareness into my abdomen, feel where any tension is in my body that may be a reaction of my own to what's happening around me, and let it just leave my body so that I can tune in and be an observer to what's going on with them. Because while they're being anxious and bouncing off each other, not supporting one another, I want to make sure I can give them some support so that they can de-escalate. Right. Are you the only one that practices mindfulness in your home? My 17-year-old has finally agreed to start practicing it. And even though I've been offering to teach it to him for many, many years, it took his individual counselor to suggest it before he listened. Uh Which, you know, that's typical between parents and and children. Yes, it is. Parents are not allowed to be right about anything, but (laughs) I'm just glad that he gave himself permission because his first experience with it, he reported back to me yesterday that it was very helpful. So I'm very proud that he is taking care of himself better 
by using mindfulness. That's fantastic. And you know what I'm finding with my own son is he'll say to me sometimes if I get a little frustrated with something, he'll say, Dad, you really know you need to stay calm and control your emotions while you're trying to do that. And I'm like, oh, yeah, of course, of course, that's right. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, you're working mindfulness on me, but yet he you know, I've never really suggested to him that he do mindfulness because of what you just described between parents and kids. I think it's best to just let him come to the conclusion himself. Brian, I'm interested in your career in social work, and I know this can be an extremely challenging career to be in. Tell us about a specific challenge you've faced as a social worker and how mindfulness might have played a role. One of the biggest challenges had to be the politics. You no, know, because when you're working in the field, you either work. I, I don't. I never worked for a nonprofit. I worked mostly for for profits. Mm-hmm. But you have those hierarchies of power. You know, the director and the supervisor. And when I worked in hospice, there were. I worked with nurses and chaplains, and the nurses didn't understand social work. Mm-hmm. Neither did the supervisors, but they would keep trying to tell you how to do your job. <laughs> and sometimes some of the things they were asking were clear boundary violations. And we had to try and explain why we were not going to do that and why we were our license was on the line if we did otherwise. Mm-hmm. So the mindfulness came into play with the politics when I had to keep my own tendency to kind of take it personal. I needed to keep that in check Mm -hmm. and realize that, no, the issue here is there's a miscommunication. There is a misunderstanding. There's a lack of knowledge. It's not somebody trying to bully me. It's not somebody trying to control me because my first instinct was to have a conversation that made it seem like a big power struggle. And when I would do that, I'd start becoming defensive, and I didn't like feeling like that. So I had to turn it into something that was much more in the present, much more relationship-focused, that there was some mismatch in the relationship we were having that was solved by increased communication. And if it didn't work, the person just wasn't listening to me. I would go get support from a colleague who would validate it by saying, yep, I hear you. Mm-hmm. Happens to me every day. Right. But just really keeping in touch with what was bubbling up in me in response to what was happening around me and making sure that I could maintain my own inner sense of balance or steadiness instead of allowing my emotions to get the best of me. I want to talk about discipline because it sounds like you've really got that down. You know, Mindful Tribe shares with me sometimes that they love mindfulness, but sometimes it's just really hard to be disciplined and stay on track and do it on a daily basis. As a coach, I know it requires a lot of discipline in your field. How do you... How do you use discipline or how do you make discipline work in your life so that you're using mindfulness on a daily basis? Well, I, I want to comment on uh, what you just mentioned about the people in that group that they say, well, sometimes it's hard. You know, sometimes you get upset. Yeah, that's called the human experience. Right. You know, if that does happen, 
and you catch yourself doing it, you acknowledge it for what it is, saying, oh, I got distracted by that, or, oh, I, I got caught up in this emotion. Let me get back to what I know makes me more present. So it's not a failure when you're not mindful. It's an opportunity to return to mindfulness. And it's understanding that principle that makes it easier to not beat up on yourself. Because sometimes people will, somebody will cut them off and they were a little distracted and they'll cuss at the person and they'll say, oh man, I, I, was, I was a bad mindfulness person just then. I'm, it's so awful. I, I, I knew what I was supposed to do and I didn't do it. And they get caught up in this conversation of you know, self-bullying or self-criticism when all they really need to do is say, Oh, yeah, that was an interesting reaction. Right. Not I, the one I was not the one I was going for. So let me just find calm again. Right. Yeah, I really like the way you've described that. Now, I've worked in bullying prevention for a while, and I've seen how the practice of mindfulness can really make a huge difference in the lives of children or adults who have been bullied. Do you have a specific story that involves bullying and mindfulness, Brian? I finally discovered a tool when I was an adult that helped me let go of all the bullying I experienced when I was younger. Because I was bullied from the time I was in kindergarten up until the sophomore year in high school. Some of it was physical. Some of it was emotional. Some of it was from my brothers and my own father. And I had such this weight on my soul that I was a piece of garbage. I wasn't good enough because the people that loved me didn't treat me right. And a couple of years ago, probably I want to say maybe four or five years ago, I attended a Tony Robbins training. Mm-hmm. And I was there for four days, but he said one thing that changed everything for me. He explained how people beat up on themselves. They talk about themselves as being victims and they have all these people to blame. And he said, you have to let go of that story. It's that story you're telling yourself that's keeping you a victim. And I think my jaw literally dropped and I just froze as my mind took that in. And I realized how much of my story was all about bringing up the past of how I was done unto. And when I realized that that story is a story of the past and what I'm trying to write is the story of my present and my future, what the heck am I hanging out of that story for? So it took some more reflection to let go of that story. But once I did, and you and I talked about this when I interviewed you on my show, that I decided to no longer allow those people to influence how I felt about me. I can't remember the exact quote, something along the lines of, I decline your invitation to feel bad about myself. Right, yes. And all of those people with their bullying invited me to feel less than. And I bought into that for decades of my life. But... At some point in my adulthood, I said, no, I no longer accept that invitation. The story no longer serves me. It's all yours. I'm moving forward. 
I find that very powerful too, Brian. And I just saw Tony Robbins. I was at one of his events just last week and uh, he talked about the same thing. And yeah, it's really, really powerful. Brian, my next questions are part of my next segment, the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? That would be my Zen Buddhist teacher. He has since passed away. Uh, he, his Zen name was Richard Langua Roshi, meaning that he was a Zen master, an American Zen master. And he was the one that I found local to me, as a matter of fact. And he is the one that first taught me how to do proper sitting Zen meditation. And in fact, I have his picture sitting on my desk because I want to always honor him and the place that he has played in my life. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? It has allowed me to experience them more deeply. I used to be afraid of getting overwhelmed by my emotions, but now I realize that I can watch them without writing them. And it's just allowed me to experience them much more fully. Tell us how breathing is a part of your mindfulness practice. I make a point of being mindful of my breath all day long. I breathe deeply as much as I can because of my restlessness, because of my racing mind, because of a tendency for my mind to sometimes go negative. I keep my mind on my breath so that I do not get caught up in all of that noise. If you could recommend a book on mindfulness to Mindful Tribe, what would it be? Anything by Thich Nhat Hanh, really. Um, Peace is every step is one of the first ones I read, and it, it sticks to me to this day. Very easy read. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Well, probably my, my calendar app because I put all of the, the tasks and all of the appointments that I need to keep in a given day with alarms on them so that my mind isn't always racing with, what, what's coming next? What else do I have to do? I want to make sure I don't forget anything. Because of the fact that my phone reminds me, it makes it much easier for me to stay present and not have to fill my mind with all that stuff. Very smart. What advice would you give a person who is new to the idea of mindfulness and they'd like to start using it in their lives? Perfection is not the goal. The whole point is to just practice. Be present. When your mind drifts off on something else, acknowledge it and bring it back to the moment. If you get distracted 100 times a day, Acknowledge it and bring your mind back to the present a hundred times a day. It's not about perfect. It's about practice. So Brian, you have a podcast called The Heart of the Matter. Would you share a little bit about your podcast and what it means to you? Absolutely. The, the Heart of the Matter came from the revelation that my entire life story, that the cancer, you know, my first wife uh, leaving me and, you know, we didn't get into that too much. My learning disabilities, my physical disability. The underpinning of all that is resilience. The fact that I just keep going anyway. And I realized just how many people in the world stand in their own way, doubt themselves, self-sabotage. And I realized I needed a forum to teach people just what they are capable of, just how many tools they have that can empower them to bounce back. So the heart of the matter is about getting to the point. Let's talk about the raw, real aspects of life that cause us problems and what we can do about them. 
so we can all realize just how powerful we are at creating the lives that we want. Excellent. Brian, it's been such a pleasure to spend time with you today talking about how you are empowering the world. You're empowering people who connect with you, and you're such a great communicator. I'm really inspired by everything you've done in your life. How can Mindful Tribe contact you and learn more about what you do? Start with my website. It's brianraymondking.com, and you'll find a link to my podcast, to my coaching, and you can also look me up on social media. I'm very easy to find. Great. Thanks very much, Brian. All the best to you. It's been a pleasure, Bruce. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. In appreciation, I'll mention you at the top of an upcoming show. Till next time, Mindful Tribe, use what we've learned today to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.